watching you, but I can feel his presence in this place today. If we left right now, I would feel like I've been in God's presence. Let's give another hand to the praise team. I appreciate the sacrifices they make. For a few minutes this morning about the way we do our lives as Christians. When I was a kid, I uh, really the first video game system that I really remember playing was my Nintendo Entertainment System, the old gray box. You remember that with the little rectangle pad? And we would play these games, and it was it was it wasn't like games today with save points and checkpoints where you if you if you mess up you can just pick up where you left off and start over again if you messed up you had to start all the way from the beginning you only got three chances at it but there was this famous code they called it the konami code and most of us who grew up during that time you know that code by heart you had to get on the pad and you just pressed up up down down left right left right ba start and instead of three chances you'd get 99 chances so we all memorized that code. It was a little bit of a cheat, but it made it kind of possible to play those games. If you remember playing games like Contra, you know, you get on there and you're, you're running across your little Rambo man shooting everything in sight. But if you had that code, beating the game was so much easier than trying to do it the regular way. Well, life is a little bit like that. See, we don't get three chances at life. We only get one. But there is a code. There is a cheat that we can use. And Jesus gave it to us. And he gave us this. It is a secret. It's the secret of his easy yoke. And so today we're going to talk about a very familiar passage of scripture. But I want to slow down just a little bit. And I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. And I want you to get it in your spirit. And understand exactly what he's saying when he calls us to follow him. And so we're going to begin by reading, this is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what Jesus said. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. We've heard it talked about over and over again. But I'm going to read this to you one more time, phrase by phrase, and I want you to just think about it and get it in your heart. It, we, we often get our Scripture up here in our head. We read it. We understand it. We think we know what God's trying to say. But it's one thing to have it in your head. It's another thing to get it, move it down into your heart, into your spirit. So we're going to read this one more time. It says this. It says, Come to me. To Jesus, all you who are weary and burdened. Anyone here in this house feel weary or burdened in life? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. There's another translation of this that I love. And I want to share this with you as well. 
This is from Eugene Peterson's translation. So it's more of a paraphrase. It's called The Message. And if you've ever read it, it's a little bit more of a modern take on it. But I, I love the way he phrases this. He puts it like this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I just love the way that's phrased. That one sentence, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We try to force our way through lives sometimes. It's drilled into us, you know. Sometimes you, you just have to face hard things in your life. And so the, the advice that the world gives you is you just put your shoulder down and you, and you push through. Sometimes you got to do that hard work. It's not fun. Everything in life that's worth having requires some work. If you're going to have a relationship with friends or family, you have to work at that. You have to fix it when there's, when there's something that goes awry in that relationship. You have to invest time to make those relationships work. If you're going to have success at your job and in your career, you're going to have to perhaps go to training and, and, and work hard, put in long hours sometimes to see the success that you need. If you want to have success in your finances, you're going to have to learn how to discipline yourself and learn how to spend less than you make and be wise with your decisions. Everything we do in life takes work. And sometimes we get tired from it. We're like, God, why can't it just be easy? Why does it all have to be so hard? Why do, why do I have to work so much? I, I like to have my house clean and in order. But you know what? Every time I turn around, I've got to clean it again. What's up with that? It's like I just dusted last week. Why do I have to dust again? But life, if we're going to stay on top of things, we have to continue to work. This idea of a yoke was a, uh, it was a way that the Hebrews talked about their rabbis. See, there were various religious teachers that would go around, and they, they had a yoke. Now, if you know what a yoke is, we're not an agrarian society. A yoke is that, that wooden uh, contraption that they would put across the top of, of two oxen. And they would use that to hitch them to a plow or a wagon. It would allow them to do the work and to spread the work between the two, indivi the two individual animals. So when, when we talked about a rabbi's yoke, it was more than just their way of reading the Torah. It was more, of just, more than just their way of, of doing things and understanding God. It was their teachings on how to be the best human that God called us to be. See, God didn't call us to struggle and to fail and to stumble through life. He called us to be victorious. He called us to, to walk through life with our heads held high, no matter what life holds, because we have our foundation in Him. So, a rabbi's yoke, it was his way to shoulder the weight of life. And sometimes the weight of life can feel too much. It can be crippling sometimes. Marriage and divorce, parenting... Parenting successes and parenting failures, prayer, money, your sex life, conflict resolution, how to live in, in a society and in government with other people. All of those things are informed by our faith, how we understand God, how we understand 
how he made us to live and to be. And so Jesus was saying, come and take my yoke. It's easy and the burden is light. So when Jesus would invite people to come and take up his yoke, it often was very simple. He didn't have to put together a sales presentation. He didn't pull out his PowerPoint and say, these are all the things that make following me worth your time. He would just find someone who was in the middle of life. Sometimes they were fishing on the side of the the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes they were sitting in their tax collector's booth. Uh, For uh, Nathaniel, it says he was just sitting under a tree, just relaxing maybe. And Jesus found him and he said, come, follow me. I don't know about you, but that's pretty simple instructions. I think I can do that kind of thing. I think I can follow Jesus. And see, he would invite them to come into his life and they would live alongside him. They would do the things that he did. They would eat the things that he ate. They would go the places he went. They learned how to live a life, a rhythm of life, just like Jesus in in um in he or in Hebrew, yes, the the word for disciples is Talmudim, and it just it could be disciples. It could also mean an apprentice. And I don't know uh, if you understand what an apprenticeship is, but an apprentice is someone who comes along a master craftsman or a master tradesman who knows how to do everything. They know all the tricks of the trade. They know how to do it well. And then the apprentice watches and learns alongside of them. You know, there's a lot of things that I can do for myself, but because I'm not a master craftsman, because I haven't trained and learned all the tricks of the trade, you know, doing a simple car repair on my car, it might take me three, four times as long as it would a mechanic who had all the right tools and all the knowledge of what steps to go through. But when you're an apprentice and you're working alongside someone, you see all the shortcuts that they know to take. You see how they have everything laid out and prepared. It amazes me when you watch these cooking shows and, and they, they start throwing these meal togethers, meals together and they do it so quick, but it's because they've done a lot of the work ahead of time. If you ever noticed, they're not over there chopping all the vegetables right then. They've got it all ready in, in, in a little bowl, just sitting there ready for it at the right time. And when the time comes, they just pick it up and throw it in the, in the recipe. And, and, and what was a, a mess of just ingredients becomes a, a beautiful, uh, delicious meal. But they knew to do that. They knew to prepare that ahead of time so that they could do it with skill. So Jesus, when he invites us to come along and to be his disciple, we're entering into an apprenticeship. We're learning not how to live in, in, uh, in ancient Israel. We're learning how to live as human beings and live according to the principles that God teaches us. So when you would go and you would follow a rabbi, you would be with your rabbi. You would become like your rabbi and you would learn how to do what he would do if he were in your position. When I was a young man in youth group, that sort of thing, there was a popular uh, phrase that people would use to try and help you. And they would say, well, what would Jesus do? And we would we learned how to interpret things through that lens. If Jesus was in this class that I'm in, if he was in school facing these difficulties, what would he do in my situation? If Jesus were, were dealing with these kinds of issues in my family and in my home life, what would he do in this situation? And so we learned how to model our lives after Jesus. And as we did that, we recovered our soul. Because when we try to push our way through, we damage ourselves. 
Anybody here ever like to go out and explore in the woods, do a little hiking, you do a little walking through the woods? Sometimes you come to a place where the trail dies off and there's no clear path anymore. And your way is blocked by bushes and brambles and thorns. And if you're going to get to the other side, there's only one way through. You're going to have to just push on through. But when you do that, what happens? You get smacked in the face by the limbs. The, the thorns pull at your clothes and tear at you. If you're wearing shorts, you might be bleeding by the time you get through all those bushes as you push through. And the same thing happens to our soul. When we try to brute force our way through life, we get damaged in the process. But when we learn to walk as Jesus walked, it's not that there won't be any challenges, but we learn how to walk in restoration and healing. And so as each day does its best to tear us down and to wear us down, we're constantly being rebuilt and healed and restored by God's grace. To have the warped parts of us pushed back into the proper shape to experience healing in the deepest parts of our being, the parts that we're afraid sometimes to let people see. You know, sometimes we, we don't want to let people know just how bad we're hurting. We don't want to show weakness, or we don't want to be a burden to other people. We, you know, especially, you, you might think, well, this thing I'm dealing with, it's really bothering me, but I'm not dealing with stuff half as bad as other people. But that doesn't mean that what you're going through isn't a trial, that it isn't a struggle. It doesn't mean that it isn't affecting you in a negative way. So we have to learn how to follow Jesus, and in doing so, that's when we learn how to live our life, what Jesus said was, to the full, in abundance, exceedingly, abundantly above anything we can think or imagine. That is the life that God desires for all of us in this house today. So here's the thing. We read often in Scripture, if, if we're going to follow Jesus, one of the things, one of the characteristics of his life is everywhere he went, we saw healing, miracles. This word in Greek is soteria, and this word that we translate as healing also means salvation. So whenever we're reading a story about how Jesus healed someone, you could translate that word, Jesus saved someone from their affliction. The blind men that were restored to sight. The dead people that were brought back to life. Because of Jesus' ministry, he, didn't, he wasn't just healing them, he was saving them. But that also means that when he saves us, when he saves our souls, it's more than just a judicial process whereby we're no longer guilty of our sins. It is a healing work in our spirit. And so that is what we're looking for. Everywhere Jesus went, salvation and healing followed. And so if we learn how to walk like Jesus walked, that means everywhere we go, there will be healing and salvation. Sometimes it'll be in ourselves. Because there are times when there's someone who's done us wrong and we have to learn how to, I'm not going to interact with that person out of my hurt. I'm not going to interact with that person out of my anger. I'm not going to interact with that person uh, out of the pain that they've caused me. I'm going to learn how to interact with them out of grace and healing and salvation because that is the state of my soul. Because my faith rests in Jesus and it rests in Him alone. So let me ask you something. Let, let me see if this sounds familiar to you. Could any of you relate to this statement? It says, I think I'm a follower of Jesus as far as I can tell. But honestly, I am tired. I'm worn out. I'm living with a low-grade fatigue that rarely, if ever, goes away. 
And honestly, I'm a little burned out too. I'm burned out on church. I'm burned out on, the, on trying so hard all the time. What gives? Am I missing something? Anybody ever felt like that? It happens to all of us. There's times when life stacks so many things on top of us where it just feels like I can't take any more. I've done all I can do. And when we reach that point, that's when we have to turn to Jesus. If we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to adopt, adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. It's a way of living. Anybody here have, have a runner in your neighborhood? They're out there, rain, uh, rain or shine, summer or winter. They're out there dealing with the, the humid goop of summer where sweat just pours off of you as soon as you walk out the door. And they're also out there wearing their earmuffs and, and all of that. They're out there. And boy, do they look good. You know, people who live that kind of lifestyle, man, they're slim, they're trim, they're in shape. They could probably run six miles and not even break a sweat because they do it all the time. They train for it. And sometimes we get a little jealous. We think, man, I want to look like that. I want to have that kind of health and energy and, and, and vigor. But then... When it comes time to adopting the lifestyle that they live, we don't necessarily want to do it because then when it comes time for us to lace up and it's pouring rain outside, we're like, well, I don't want to go run in the rain, you know, or it's, it's kind of cold outside and it's pretty warm in here under these covers. I'm, I'm not sure I want to go outside and, and do that right now. And then we sit down and we eat that great big old cheeseburger when they're having their celery and water. And, and then we wonder why we don't look like them. It's because we don't live the lifestyle that they're living. And so the things, they face challenges in their life and their body is prepared for it. It's trained for it. They can handle the stresses that life throws at them in ways that we can't because they've made choices to live in a particular way. And we can do the same thing in our lives. We see that everywhere Jesus went, he ministered to people. He saved them. He healed them. He showed God's grace and mercy to them. And if we want to be able to do those same things, we have to live in the way that Jesus lived. In fact, early Christians, before they got the name Christians, they, they first were called Christians in the city of Antioch. And it was meant as an insult. They called them Christians. It meant little Christs. They said, oh, look at all those little Christs running around thinking they've got it all figured out. And the Christians said, well, actually, we kind of like that idea. We want to be little Christs running around. So we, we took that name and we adopted it as our own. But prior to that, before that, we didn't even have a name for the group. All they called themselves was followers of the way. They said, we're following the way of Jesus. And see, we kind of get away from that emphasis on following the way of Jesus. We get focused on status. You know, I, I, I am a child of God. That's who I am. We focus on the identity. Identity is something that we understand in our society, in our culture. But instead, we need to learn how to identify with the way, the lifestyle. You know, there, every family has their own culture, right? You, you go and you visit a friend and you stay in their home and you see that they do things differently than you do. From everything, uh, from, from when they sit down to eat their meals, you know, sometimes I would go and visit my grandparents and they would eat their dinner at like 5 o'clock, you know, and, and I like to stay up late at night. And so if I eat at 5 o'clock, I'm hungry before bed. But that was the way they lived. And if I was going to stay with them, I had to adopt their lifestyle for the time being. So something as simple as when you eat your meals or how you fold your towels or it, does your toilet paper roll over or under. We all have a culture in our family of how we do things. 
And part of being a Christian is learning how to do things the way that Jesus did. Now, our lives are very different from him. Jesus didn't have to learn how to relate well to his cell phone, right? He didn't have to learn how to manage his Instagram addiction. He didn't have to learn how to not binge watch the entire season of Stranger Things on Netflix in in two days. But he did teach us how to live in a life where we focus on things that are important where we invest our lives and and our efforts and our energy into things that matter eternally. I've been reading a book lately called Things That Matter. And it's written by a a man. He he was a pastor for years and now he he writes, uh, he's an author, he writes a blog and books and that kind of thing. And I just love the fact that, you know, he's writing to people who, he said, I understand not everyone's a Christian like I am. So the things that matter to you might be different. But I'm telling you, Jesus taught us how to live like this. He taught us how to find the things that matter and to push away the things that distract. He taught us how to focus in like a laser so that we can accomplish the purpose that God created us for. These last few Wednesday nights in in our young adult Bible study, we've been talking about our purpose. How did God design us to be? You know, he created each of us to be a unique shape. And no, I'm not talking about tall or short or fat or skinny or pear-shaped or whatever it is. But he created a shape for you. He gave you spiritual gifts. He gave you a heart. He gave you abilities. He gave you a, a unique personality. And you've been through unique experiences. All of those things go into making you who you are. And because of who you are, God has a purpose for you. And so we learn how to live into that shape, that purpose that God's given us. So the way of Jesus is more than just a set of ideas. That's our theology. Theology just means words about God. That's how we think and conceive of God. And it's important to have good theology. It's important that we understand things and and make sure that what we believe in about God lines up with what is revealed to us in Scripture and what's been taught to us by, by the church and what we understand from our experience. All of those things go into creating our picture and our depiction of God in our minds. And it's going to be different for each of us. Because saying that God is your father might mean one thing to to some of you and it means something else to me because you had a different father than I had. Or saying that God is my protector might mean something different because maybe you grew up in a home that wasn't very safe. So for for you to look at God and say, I don't know if I can trust you to be my protector because I I didn't have that when I was younger. It's different for each of us. But the way of Jesus is more than just what we believe about God. It's more than a list of do's and don'ts. That's our morality. That's our ethics. That's what guides our day-to-day decisions. What is right and wrong? Should I take this that doesn't belong to me? Should I tell that little white lie to, to uh, you know, cover up someone's feelings or to protect someone from being hurt? You know, Do I hold my child accountable in this case or do I give them grace? That's one of the hardest things as a parent, right? Because you want to set up a, a system where they know this is right, this is wrong, and if you do the wrong thing, you receive punishment for it but at the same time we can show the grace of God by forgiving sometimes when they step outside those bounds and we're only able to do that because we ourselves have received some grace and some mercy from God so the way of Jesus is not just our theology it's not our ethics and our morality it's a way of life based on Jesus himself so think about what are the things we see in scripture that Jesus did well we see that he wasn't afraid of work. It teaches us 
in, in the Bible that, that uh, his father, his earthly father, Joseph, was, was a builder. And some people call it carpenter, but really it was just a, a builder. It's like a general contractor. They could do anything, make anything. And Jesus was right there alongside of him. How do I know? Because you didn't have a choice back then. If dad was a builder, you were a builder. If dad was a farmer, you were a farmer. Because you worked alongside. The family had to work together. And so Jesus, he did that. Then we learn that he studied scriptures. How do we know? Well, it talks about when he was a young man, how he goes and, and he interacts with the, with the religious teachers in, in the synagogue and, and in the temple. And they were amazed at his knowledge. Now, granted, Jesus had a little bit of a leg up on them. He had a little bit of extra revelation that they didn't necessarily have. But he knew the scriptures. He was able to argue it back and forth. We see that he went to church regularly. It said that he would go to the synagogue and so much so that they would, they would hand him the scroll and have him read that out. That was not something that they did unless you were part of that body. And they would trust you to get up and to, and to read the scripture for everyone. And he turned to Isaiah. He knew right where to turn to tell us that God had anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. And so Jesus studied. We see that Jesus was an early riser. Now that one's a hard one for me to follow. I, I'm, I'm not an early riser. That does not come naturally to me. But why did he do it? Did he get up because he wanted to go work out and get some six-pack abs? No, he would get up early before the busyness of the day so that he could get alone and commune with his father. It said often he would rise early in the morning to go off and to pray. And that's hard to do. But if we're going to live like Jesus does, that's what we're going to have to do. Jesus interacted with people no matter who they were. It didn't matter if they were a Jewish person or a Samaritan. Anyone that came his way, he interacted with them, and he did so with love and with grace and with compassion. He found people who were just going through life unawares of what God had in store for them, and he would awaken a desire to do what God had called them to do. He said, hey, listen, you guys have been fishermen, but I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. You have a higher calling on your life. And just by interacting with Jesus, they realized, yeah, Obeying God and doing what He's called me to do, that's far more important than what I've been applying myself to. So we learn to live in the ways that Jesus lived. He took time. He invested in relationships. Often we see Jesus relaxing, reclining at a table, eating a meal with friends and with new acquaintances and teaching them, showing them the truth in Scripture. So Jesus lived in a particular way. And so here's the thing. we got to ask ourselves, we see this picture of Jesus that's in Scripture, and we can compare it to our own lives. Do they match? Does it line up? Are the ways we're living our lives, are they in tune with what Jesus did? And here's the thing. If you find something in your life, maybe you've got it half right. Maybe you've got it three quarters right. But if there's a little bit that's off, we have to ask ourselves, what is it about my life that is giving me this result that doesn't line up with what Jesus has. There's a famous business maxim that says this. It says, every system is perfectly designed to get the result it gets. So, again, we can go back to physical fitness. You know, if you are overweight and unhealthy, then there's probably something in your life that has brought you to that place. Maybe a few too many banana puddings, a few too many blackberry cobblers, few too many evenings on the couch. That'll do it. 
Maybe your financial house is in shambles. What got you there? Were you wise? Did you save your money or did you spend it? When you got a little extra, did you put it away and save it for that rainy day that you know is going to come? Or did you go buy that new flat screen TV you've been wanting? Everything in our life comes from the decisions we've made. So whatever the result of your life is now, you're there because the system of your life has been created to produce that result. If the results that you are getting in your life are lousy, maybe you constantly have anxiety at a simmer, eating away at you. Maybe you have high levels of stress in your life. Maybe you have chronic emotional burnout. Maybe you have little to no sense of the presence of God in your life. Maybe you have an inability to focus your mind on the things that make your life worthwhile. Then the odds are very good, if, th if those things, if those symptoms sound familiar to you, then the odds are very good that something about the system of your life is out of order. So we have to learn how to fix that process. I have a friend, uh, he works as a, uh, as a high-level executive. for. Uh, he did work for a uh, jet engine turbine company, but he was asked to come over and work with this sheet metal company. And so he came into this sheet metal factory, and, uh, and, and almost immediately he said, I see why your company has been struggling in these ways, because your process is not set up in a way that produces the best result. And so he spent the last few months working with the, the engineers in the, in the factory and, and they're going through and they're like, how can we streamline this process? How can we make sure that our workers stay safe? You know, how can we, how can we make sure that we have fewer injuries on the job? And, and he's doing all that simply by shifting this, this machine three feet over and, and let's use this piece of equipment instead of that piece of equipment and let's use this time frame or this speed to do it. And, and so by tweaking that system, they're getting a better result. And we can do the same thing in our lives. We can look and we can say, you know what? I don't feel God's presence in my life. Well, how are you fostering that? Coming to church is one. When we worshiped as a body earlier, man, I felt the presence of God on me. And that's one way to feel God's presence in your life. But I don't get to come to church every day of the week. So that means I've got to find another way of getting myself into God's presence each and every day of my life. So I have to read my scripture. I have to take time to pray. When I'm upset, instead of fuming about it and thinking bad thoughts, I have to learn how to turn it over to God and say, God, you're in charge. You're in control. I need your hand. I need you to do this for me. And when we do that and we begin to interact with God on a regular basis and we get ourselves into his presence and we fix our mind on him, then you won't have to worry about, well, I don't feel God. I don't hear God. I, I don't see him at work in my life. You'll see him everywhere when you learn to get into his presence. The way you've organized your life is giving you the results you're getting. Think about your morning routine. Does anybody here have a routine that you do every single morning? Right? What's first for you? Is it, is it stumble out of the bedroom and, and turn on the coffee maker? Is that, is that step one? Or, or maybe step one is I've got to wash my face first thing or else I'm, I won't wake up. So the first thing you do is you go in the bathroom, you spray that cold water in your face. I don't know what your routine is, but if you get thrown off your routine... It bothers you, right? Because it's like, man, I'm all messed up. I left my keys. My sunglasses are there because I, I'm not following my routine. And we love that. We crave that. But here's the thing. The routine you've created in your life also affects your faith journey. 
So we have to make sure that our routines are producing the results in our life that we need. The way we manage our schedule, the way we manage our budget, the way we manage our relationships to people and to things. And you say, how do you have a relationship with a thing? Well, I mentioned earlier, our phones, our, our, uh, our, our, our belongings, all of these things, they can, they can create systems in our lives that aren't beneficial for us. How we manage our resource of time, our resource of money, our resource of attention. How many of you guys know that your, your, your uh, font of attention runs out over the course of the day? Anybody here? Uh, you're really good at working in the morning and staying focused, but by evening you're done. You run out. And so you got to make sure that, man, in the time of my day when I'm at my best, when, when I can really apply myself to what I need to do, i got to make sure that I'm spending that time and that resource on the things that are most important. If you're best at 9 a.m., don't answer your emails at 9 a.m. Because that's not the most important thing in your life. If you're, if you're best at, at, at 2 p.m., don't be taking, you know, or don't, don't be going into meetings that are, that are a waste of time at 2 p.m. You have better uses for your time. So the way we've designed our life produces the results we get. And if it's not producing the results we think we need or that we know God has called us to, then we got to find what's out of whack. And so sometimes we have to sit down and we got to say, God, how do I fix this? How do I pursue you and live in a way that glorifies you? You know, um, we, I was sharing on Wednesday night about there was a, a, a bishop in England and he was getting ready to go into a debate and they, were, they, had, put, um, they had set this all up, they'd advertised it, it was this bishop, he was going to represent the Christian view and then there was an atheist man who was going to argue the atheist point of view and they were getting ready to go into this debate, it was going to be nationally televised and they asked the bishop, they said, aren't you afraid what happens if you lose the debate? And he said, well, I could lose the debate. I'm just a man. I might lose the debate. But my prayer is that God is glorified even in my defeat. And so we have to learn how to let God receive the glory in every aspect of our life. So that might mean that this Sunday evening, instead of using, doing your usual, you know, turn on the basketball game and get your bowl of ice cream and, and, and turn your mind off for a couple hours, maybe we sit down with our planner and we look at it and we say, God, how can I best spend my time that you've given me this week? What are the things that I need to do that are imperative, that are important? Or maybe we sit down with our checkbook and our spouse and we say, hey, honey, things haven't been going so great. We've got to learn how to use our money and our resources in a way that glorifies God. Maybe we have to sit down and we have to say, God, I know that I can be kind of a jerk sometimes. People have pointed it out to me. They, they give me that fancy wave on the road that lets me know that I cut them off. And we need to ask God, how can I learn not to do those things? To be more mindful of others, to be compassionate, to make a positive impact in people's day rather than frustrate them and annoy them and drive them to pull their own hair out. And sometimes we don't like the answer. Because sometimes when you're sitting there and you're looking at your checkbook, God's going to look at it and he's going to say, hey, that vacation you're saving for, it's too expensive. You don't need to go to, on the all-expense-paid cruise. There's some other things that you need to put your money towards. Or God might say, hey, you know how you like to go fishing like three times a week? 
Maybe three times is a bit too much. And we don't like that because we like fishing. Not me. I hate fishing. I like, I'll go out on the water, but don't, I don't want to mess with all that other stuff. But maybe God will call you to give up something that you actually like. It's part of a sacrifice. It's part of discipline. It's part of learning to walk in a way that glorifies God. Here's the thing. A yoke, what Jesus calls us to take up, is a work instrument. A yoke isn't for hanging on the wall of the barn so it looks pretty. I've seen some people, they, they use them as decoration in their home. They'll hang a, an old ox yoke up on the wall. Some of them even have mirrors in, in the hole where you would put it on the, on the ox's neck. Uh, but, but it's not there to, to look pretty. It's there to do a job. It's there to do work. So when Jesus is offering us a yoke, he is offering what we might think that a tired people need least. You say, God, I'm worn down. I'm, I'm burnt out. I'm tired. I don't need another tool. But that's the thing. We think we need a mattress. We think we need a vacation. We think we need another day off. But what Jesus is trying to teach us is, I want to give you a way to live where you're not burnt out. I want to give you a way to live where you're not constantly tired and worn down and burnt out. I want to give you a way of life that gives, gives you life and prosperity and happiness and, and you can walk. And, and, and all of those things are independent of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because here's the thing, life is hard. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in, it takes work. So Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give us is not a one-week paid vacation to, to Cozumel, Mexico. He understands that the best way and the most restful thing he can give us is a way to carry life, a fresh way to bear our responsibilities in a way that doesn't kill us, it doesn't wear us down. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. It's just the nature of things. If you want to have a home, you're going to have to do the maintenance on it. If you want to have a family, you're going to have to change some diapers and wipe some snotty noses and lose some sleep. If you want to have a good relationship with friends, you're going to have to protect your time and make time and invest in that relationship. If you want to have success at work, you're going to have to work harder than everybody else, especially if you want that promotion. That's just the nature of life. So rather than letting those things wear us down, we can't get away from them. Jesus doesn't offer us an escape. He offers us equipment. He offers us the, the power and the ability to do it and to maintain it and to bear that burden in a way that is healthy. Jesus means that, that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, as we've discussed it today, it will develop us in us a balance and a way of carrying life that will give us more rest than the way we've been living up to this point. And I don't know about you, but I need that. Anybody here ever go through your week and you, you've lost a little sleep here and you've worked really hard, maybe they made you work some overtime, and you get to your one day off and all you do is just like conk out and you sleep for like 10, 11, 12 hours? Anybody ever do that? And then you feel bad. You're like, well, I've, I've wasted half of my only day off. But here's the thing. Your body needs that. Your body needed that rest or you wouldn't have slept so late. And so we have to live in a way where we're not so worn down. And you know, when we're tired, that's when we get sick. When we're tired, that's when we make poor decisions. When we're worn down, that's when we say things we shouldn't. We get irritable. 
There's a lot of characteristics of it. Here, let me read off a few of them for you. Let's see. We got irritability. Anybody here ever been irritable? Yeah. Hypersensitive. People, things get on your nerves, right? Maybe you hear that, that ticking clock and then you think, man, if I hear that thing tick one more time, I'm going to go insane. Maybe we're restless. Anybody here ever been restless? Last night I was over at Derek and Stephanie's house and, and uh, I had been sitting in a chair for a while and finally I just got up and I started pacing back and forth in the living room. She thought, well, she, Stephanie asked me, she said, are you just getting your steps in? I was like, no, not that. I'm just, I'm feeling restless. Other things in our life. Maybe workaholism. Maybe we throw ourselves into things and we work too hard because it's an escape. We don't have to think about the problems at home if we're never home, right? Maybe emotional numbness. When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you laughed? All of those things go away when we're too tired. Maybe our priorities are out of whack. Maybe we're not taking care of our bodies the way we should. Quit putting ice cream and cheeseburgers in it, right? Those things are good. It's comfort food, but that should be a reward every now and then, not an everyday way of life. We have escapist behaviors. How many of you guys come home and all you do is you turn on the Netflix or the Amazon Prime or the Hulu and you lose the next four hours of your life? Maybe our spiritual disciplines start to slip. Maybe we begin to isolate ourselves from others because we just don't want to deal with anybody. I'm out of power. I'm out of energy. I can't deal. I can't even is the phrase, right? I can't even. So all of these things are signs that the way our, li- our life is going and the way we're living is not glorifying God. Now, if any of those symptoms sounded familiar to you, I'm not pointing fingers at you because I've been right there with you. There have been days, I'm a pastor, and there have been days where it was like, I don't want to go to church today. I don't want to have to talk to anybody. I don't want to have to put my makeup on. That's a a pain in the butt. But the thing is, is when we learn to live and walk as Jesus walked, then we can shoulder these things and we don't get worn down to to bare bones. We don't get worn down to where we just can't do it anymore. People all over this world, outside the church and inside, Look for ways to escape. They look for a way out from under the crushing weight of this life. And if we're going to live this life, it's going to be hard. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, when God told Adam and Eve, you have to leave paradise and you're going to have to go out into the world, what did he tell them? He said, it's going to be hard. If you're going to eat, you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to break the soil with your hands. And you're going to have to plant and harvest. And if you're going to have a family, it's going to be painful and it'll be a burden to you. All of those things are the the penalties of sin. And we can't escape those, even though we're free from them as Christians. There's still the, the part of this life and existing in this world, we have to deal with the effects of sin. And so there's no escaping it. The best this world can offer us is a temporary distraction to delay the inevitable or deny the inescapable. You know, I was teasing, uh, I went to a funeral down in, in uh, Tennessee this week uh, for, for a dear family friend, and, and his grandson was there, and you know, his grandson is two years older than me, and, uh, and he's bald, I'm, I'm catching up with him, I'm getting thin up here, but he's, he's all the way bald, but he still has a beard too, but I, I was just joking around with him, and I said, now listen man, you're two years older than me, and you've got four kids, I've only got one, how come I've got all this white in my beard and you don't have any? 
And he said, aisle 17, my friend. Haven't you found it? We delay the inevitable. We're all going to go white. I'm proud of these white hairs in my beard. That's wisdom. I paid the price for every single one of those. We try to delay it. We try to deny it. We try to pretend it's not there. We shoot ourselves full of Botox. And, and we, uh, we go and get chemical peels, right? We, uh, we, we, we try to act like we're younger than we should. How many of you guys have ever seen somebody who, who it's like, man, dude, you're 50 years old. It's time to put away the, the skateboard shoes, you know? It, it, we, we try to pretend like we can still pull it off. Our, our, our kids really help us get over that, right? They help us realize that, dude, you're not cool anymore. Don't even try. But here's the thing. Jesus isn't offering us an escape. He's offering us something far better. He's offering us a tool, equipment to live life in a way that glorifies God. He offers his apprentices a whole new way to bear the weight of our humanity with ease. How many of you guys want it to be easy? I want to walk through life and and not feel like I can't even today. I want to feel like, give me your best shot, world. I got this. Here's the other thing about a yoke. A yoke is designed for two oxen. Two oxen. It shares the load between them. And when we take up Jesus' yoke, that means we're sharing the load with Him. So we're not operating under our own power. We're operating in tandem with Jesus. He gave us His Spirit. He told His disciples, and they were sad. They were like, well, why do you have to leave us, Jesus? He said, listen, it's better for you that I go away. Because when I go away, I'll send my spirit to you. He'll be your advocate. He'll be your comforter. He'll give you power. He'll give you knowledge. It's, you know, it, he, he encouraged them. He said, listen, when they call you before the authorities and they begin to grill you and you're like, I don't know what to say, don't worry about it. The spirit will give you the words. The spirit will guide us. The spirit will sustain us. That's why we need to make sure that we're plugged into the spirit at all times. So like two oxen in a field, tied shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, we can let him do the heavy lifting. We don't have to contribute the whole effort. It's easier. They say that when you tie an animal together, you would think if you've got one ox and a second ox and you tie the two of them together, you've got the power of two oxen. But science has proven that when you tie together two oxen, you don't get two ox power, horsepower, whatever it is. You actually get four. It's multiplicative. So when we're working alongside Jesus, we're going to see an, an exponential increase in our ability to handle what life throws at us. When we learn to live life as Jesus did, we learn to walk at his pace. Jesus didn't run around like crazy. He lived his life with people. He took time for them. He made space to spend time with God. He made space to spend time with people. He did whatever was required. He walked a slowed, unhurried, present-in-the-moment lifestyle. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. Full of love, full of joy, full of peace. That's the life that I want to live. So Justin, if you'll come up here and help me close. And prayer team, if you'll be ready and available. Here's the thing. I know that there are people in this room that you're dealing with things right now that are, you, you feel like they're beyond you. I don't know the answers. I've prayed those prayers too. There have been times 
when I just got down in, on my knees in front of God and I said, listen, God, I prayed all the prayers. I fasted all the meals. I wept all the tears. I talked to my friends and my support network around me. I've, done, I've, I've read scripture. I've, I've asked my, my spiritual mentors what I should do. I just don't know what else to do, God. I don't know what else to do. I've prayed those prayers to God. But in each of those cases, I learned that while I had prayed the prayers and I had fasted the meals and I had sought wisdom and I'd sought help, I still was trying to do it all under my own power. I thought, I've got to fix this. I got myself into this mess. I'm going to get myself out. Or this is my mess to clean up. This is my responsibility, so I'm going to deal with it. But the thing is, I can't handle everything that life throws at me. But Jesus offers us a yoke. He offers us equipment to, to bear the burdens that life is going to put on you. And I don't know what your burden is today. Maybe you're dealing with health issues that are, that are wearing your body down. It's hard to do much of anything when you don't have your health. We take it for granted when we have it, but then all of a sudden it's gone, and now we're like, oh my goodness, my body's falling apart. And we got to turn to God, and we got to say, hey, look, I'm not the young man I once was. I'm dealing with some issues that I didn't have 20 years ago, but I can deal with it with your strength. Maybe your, your family is going through a tough time. Maybe your children are are going through a rough phase in your life. They always said it was terrible twos. I found that it was, it was, it was worse for the threes, personally, because that's when we were trying to lock in that potty training, and that was not happening for us. You know, that was a tough time. Or when you're a parent and you've got a, an infinite home, and you, you have to learn how to go from, I need eight hours of sleep to, I'm going to have to survive on three for a little while. Maybe you're dealing with those kinds of things. Maybe the economy is really messing with you right now. Your, your workplaces are making you work longer hours or they're cutting them and you still have to make your ends meet even though you're getting fewer hours. Or maybe just the fact that I live too far out of town and that $5 gas is really hurting me. It's really putting the pinch on me right now. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, God can help you. We just have to turn to Him and ask Him to do so. So if everybody would stand to your feet today, if you're in this house today and you would say, I'm feeling worn down, I'm feeling burdened, and I need Jesus to help me shoulder this load. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? I'm going to put both hands up because personally, I got, I got a lot on my plate. I got a lot of things I'm dealing with. And the reason I want to put up both hands is because when you're in school, you raise one hand, you're saying, God, I need attention, I need help, I need something. You put up your second hand, that's surrender. That's saying, God, you got it. I'm giving it into your hands. I can't hold it. My hands are up high. I can't hold the burden if my hands are up here. So that means you've got to hold it, God. So if that's you today, if you have something that you need assistance with, that's what our prayer team is here for. And as the worship team begins to sing, if you have something that you need to bring to God and you need to turn it over to Him, then I want you to come forward. God is giving us today a yoke, an easy burden, a light way to bear your cross and your burden in life. So the altars are open right now. Please come and let's meet together with the Lord.
Isn't the name of 
Stop trying to make your own way. God has a way. It's already laid out for us. All we have to do is surrender and walk that path and allow Jesus to sustain us. So I pray this week that you learn to live those unforced rhythms of grace. I want you to feel sustained and held up by the Spirit, holding you up against anything that life tries to throw at you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word today. We thank you for the easy yoke of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to shoulder the burdens of our life alone, Lord, but that we can share those burdens with you, that your Holy Spirit comes and works alongside of us to help us make the right decisions. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to lay our own path, Lord, but that we can follow your way. Lord, we're grateful that we're your children. We're grateful that we've been adopted into your family. But Lord God, we are also followers of your way, apprentices of Jesus. So Father God, as we leave this house today, I pray that you would help us to live in a way that glorifies you, that we live as little Christians, little Christs, walking just as you do, exuding that love and that joy and that peace, salvation and healing everywhere we go and with everyone we meet. Father, for those who are weary today, Lord, I pray that this week your Holy Spirit would come and comfort those who have just been worn down and feel beaten and burdened. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your strength, your vigor, your joy, so that we can approach life and live it as you desire for us, an abundant life in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're dismissed. Pray you come back to join us Wednesday night for Bible study. And we'll see everybody next week.